This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Catalog and Cocktails, live from Austin, Texas, as well as someplace else. You'll find out in a second. We're um, a honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management. And we have tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy at Data.World, joined by Juan. Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada. I'm principal scientist at Data.World, and I am joining you all live from Lyon, France. So it is 11 p.m., so I'm actually really enjoying my cocktail right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here. We're organizing the web conference, which is the, the largest scientific conference for web research, which is a sneak peek. It's going to be in Austin, Texas next year, which we're hosting it. So really excited about that. But let's go talk on some other things today besides the web. We'll, we're, we get to listen to everybody thanks to the web. The web is one of the most marvelous things that have been created. Um, so we very thankful for the web. Some useful tech there. A useful tech for sure, yeah. Well, today we're going to have a conversation, which I think is something that is getting hotter and hotter. I'm hearing it more and more. Uh, it is about semantic layers and metrics layers. And I think the person who is really driving a lot of this stuff right now is Nick Handel, who's the CEO of Transform. Nick, how are you doing? Welcome. Hey, it's great to be on the show. Awesome. Thanks for Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no, I think I wish I had a good. Oh, I wish I had a good, uh, you know, uh, person radio personality. Like, hey, it's Nick. I'm, you know, I love your, <laughs> I love your character. Gotta have you guys feel. jump into it at the beginning. Yeah, gotta of this. character mode, but uh, well, the funny thing is that I, I mean, I've been following Nick for so long now during the pandemic, right? Everybody on social media, but we were at the data council, uh, and and we've talked before, like we've had Zoom meetings and stuff, and then literally we sat down and I'm like, oh, I'm sitting next to Nick. Finally, we get the chance to talk. So that was a great random uh, moment at a, at a dinner we had. Yeah. Um, all right, what are we drinking? What are we toasting for? All right, um, I have a this cocktail mix called House. I don't know, it's a, uh, somebody sent it to me, House. Oh. It's made in Sonoma, uh, but this is a bitter clove mix and uh, yeah, it's, you know, two o'clock in San Francisco. So mix it with some sparkly water. And um, yeah, what am I toasting to? Um, let's see. I got engaged like Whoa. two and a half weeks ago. So I'm definitely toasting yeah. to that personally. Um, yeah, thanks. And then professionally, uh, we, we released a big open source project as a company. And that's like, I don't know, it's fun to put yourself out there. So metric flow is is new and yeah we'll get to talk about that so wow that's awesome and and i guess i i think i emailed this to you but uh, you transformed your life so congratulations <laughs> i really did yeah and yeah, also big, big, big you transformation should, you should all i mean tosta you guys had your your uh, your summit yesterday right so yep yep we had a metric store summit um and yeah a bunch of different presentations um that was kind of our first big event as a, as a company, you know, we've done kind of smaller things. So another, you know, we're, we're starting to put ourselves out there in more significant ways, which is really fun. Hey, Tim, what about you? What are you drinking toasting today? Well, great question. Well, first of all, that's very exciting, Nick, new, new chapter personally and new chapter professionally with the company. So that's yeah. really exciting. Yeah, um, totally. So, uh, what am I drinking? Well, you know what? I, uh, 
recently picked up uh, a new kind of gin. It's this uh, Hendrix Lunar. Uh, and it's pretty interesting as, you know, I'm not a super big gin person, but, um, this ha- it has a very, like, a an herbal and almost like a floral kind of taste to it. Uh, I mixed it with a little bit of ginger ale and some lemon, uh, and it tastes pretty good. So that's what I'm drinking right now. Uh, what am I cheersing to? Um, you know what? I don't have anything as exciting as what you said, Nick. So I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just happy to be here talking about data. I'm cheersing to data and conversations. I love that. <laughs> Well, what what you I'm, ha- I'm, I'm having a Hendrix gin and tonic right now. Oh, you got Hendrix too? Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, like an advertisement for Hendrix right now. Oh wow! Yeah, and and I'm gonna cheer cheers for 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 Nick for getting engaged. Uh, and hey, I'm in I'm in Lyon. I can't complain. This is the culinary capital of France, and and uh, and we're here to go celebrate the the web research. And I'm also very thankful for the web for everything that has given to us. So, cheers, everyone! Cheers! Cheers! All right, so we got our warm-up question today, which is cake, dip, or sandwich, what is the best layered food? Okay, so you, you told me I could go, you know, uh, I could go rogue here a little bit. Um, and I'm going to go eggplant parm. You know, Ooh. you get some layers in there, some, like, nice melty cheese, you know, some some tomato sauce, some eggplant. Um, yeah, it's, like, oh, one man. of my favorite dishes. I How do like you? eggplant parm. Uh, now you're opening up all sorts of yeah, possibilities. Yeah, yeah. Now I kind of want to be Break like, the well, box. Pizza. pizza has layers, right? It does. It does. For sure. I was going to say cake because I don't know. Cause, I don't know. Dip and sandwich. I don't really think of those as layered foods, but um, I don't know. What, what about you, Juan? Well, I, I was going to say a burger, like a cheeseburger, make it layers. But now nice. you're like, oh, then it's lasagna I think, for me with all those layers. But. So we were supposed to choose between cake, dip, and sandwich. We ended up with uh, pizza and egg parm and (laughs) (laughs) for the creative bunch here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's kick kick this off. So, all right, Nick, simple, honest, no BS. What is your definition of a semantic layer and and a metrics layer? Okay. So um, I gave a bit of a talk on this yesterday, so I'm, you know, prepared for for this. But um, I kind of build it up. And so, you know, starting with a semantic layer, um, you know, a semantic layer is basically a, if you think about like the tables that are underneath the semantic layer, right, it's kind of a way of like representing a bunch of data that's in the warehouse. And so basically what we're doing is we're mapping various tables to classes, right? So I've got customers, I've got products, I've got transactions, and then we're mapping, you know, the various kind of rows of those tables to individual instances of those objects, right? Um, and then we're mapping the columns to kind of various, you know, measures and dimensions, which are attributes of those objects, right? And so we're basically saying we've got tables, you know, they are classes of objects. We've got different instances of those objects, and they have various attributes. And then we can do a bunch of really cool stuff with that, right? We can, like, define relationships and do joins and all of that kind of stuff. Like, this is not new, you know, um, semantic layers have been around for a long, long time. You know, we've got an you know expert on the on the panel here, so um, we can go deep there. But there is this kind of like fundamental problem with uh, semantic layers, and that's kind of twofold. One is that the abstractions um, are fairly kind of you know low level and granular and tied to these this kind of table object, right? Um, and so basically, the way that I define a metrics layer is 
something where you know you're ultimately trying to define metrics, right? You're trying to define, uh, ideally, in some reusable way, uh, the definitions of various metrics that your business cares about. And so, one of the ways that you could do that, I think that there are semanticless uh, kind of you know definition uh, structures that you could go and just freely write SQL to define metrics, etc. Um, it's very common to do that, but if you have a nice semantic layer, then you can basically take those various different tables. You know, you can kind of imagine like the entity relationship diagram of these various tables and how they connect to each other. And you could go and define metrics on top of the various kind of classes, the different objects and the different attributes. So, you know, if you have two events, you could go and define a conversion event, which would be, you know, event A, event B, join these two things together, you know, take two timestamps from each of them and say that they have to happen within some window of time of each other, right? Um, and so ultimately, there is this semantic structure that's underneath, and we are just defining metrics on top of that semantic structure. And that's kind of how it extends beyond the traditional concepts of measures, dimensions, and relationships that traditional semantic layers have. So what does life feel like before the semantic and the metrics layer? And then what does life feel like with the semantics and the, and, and the metrics layer? Yeah, so before uh, you've basically got, you know, a ton of SQL. Like you've got um, all of your different raw tables that come into your data warehouse. You've got, you know, a bunch of different kind of SQL uh, that is going to go into the process of kind of normalizing those tables, cleaning them up, uh, making them consistent, like making all your country fields match each other, making, you know, making them uh, nice and clean and easy to consume. That process is like fairly containable, right? Because it's kind of linear. You go from like a raw table to a normalized table. You're defining the same kinds of transformations to get to those clean representations of the data. Um, from that point on, you just have this like explosion of potential, you know, opportunities of things that you can do with that data, right? You can join uh, lots of those data sets to each other. You can traverse multiple data sets to join various data sets together. You can aggregate them in all different kinds of ways. You can apply all kinds of filters. And ultimately, what that becomes is kind of like the way that most companies have their uh, their DAGs organized is just a ton of data transformation from those normalized tables to build various data marts for different applications. And when a company is small, that feels manageable by a small group of people. When a company gets really big, it quickly grows unmanageable. Um, and so the the kind of pain that people feel and the reason why they want to you know define their uh, semantic structures at this kind of more granular level is that they don't want to basically manage all of that logic manually. They want to define it in one place, and then they want to kind of programmatically consume in different you know, applications. And that's kind of traditionally like the reason why people have adopted semantic layers in general. Um, but I think that the extension of the metrics layer, like what having that metric object does, is it actually creates a full connection to the way that the end business user talks about data. Right? Like the end consumer of data, when they go to a data person, they're going to be like, hey, I need revenue by day by this you know, new product category I just launched. And the data person is going to ultimately take that, you know, compile it down in their brain 
into a SQL query and then express that SQL query and run it against the warehouse. But that compilation layer can basically be done programmatically. We can kind of remove uh, the need for the data analyst to have to be that compilation layer. Mm -hmm. So let me go replay this, what you've said yeah. in my words and also kind of um, align it or, or match it with kind of situations that I've been. I think so before what we have yeah. is you get all this data dumped into your lake or whatever. Okay, so let's so let's assume it's all queerable in one place, but it's all mm -hmm. just a dump. You move the you you did e and the l, right? So it's all in one place. Yep. And now what happens is that users, data consumers, analysts, people need to go answer a question with respect to some metric. How many events are occurring? Well, all right, these types of questions. Yeah. They're like, yeah, yeah. okay, go. The data's in the lake. Go figure it out. So they will do all this work, which is going to be either uh, I created this gigantic SQL query that generated the table that, that now I can use that table to go answer my question. Or I'm splitting that up in so many different pieces and then I generated this thing here first and this other thing because I needed this data from this other thing. And that's where you're calling these the DAGs, right? So there's your data is moving so many places and then I finally yep. got the data. Sometimes that all work may happen inside of your data lake uh, that sometimes that may all be done in your analytics tool in the tableau maybe it's split yeah. up right so at the end you're, you're you're you have all this logic which could be this gigantic sql query or a sql query that's over the warehouse and other part over the analytics in yep. the analytics tool uh, the, 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 i mean at the end of the day people are solving the problem of i need to answer my question but the process to go do that frankly if you're in a small organization it's okay but the moment you grow or you keep growing, you have all this turns into some legacy debt. Let me stop there. Are we aligned? Yep. I think we are. I think the one thing I would add there is just at the small organization, people are building that legacy debt before they know it. Bingo. Right? Love that. Agree. Yeah. Yes. All right. Okay. So we're, we're in agreement. Okay. We're aligned. Yep. Okay. So now, so that's the before. Now let's go talk about how we would actually be implementing here a, a semantic layer um, and, 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 not, and let's not even call it vendors or anything. It's like just um, yeah. What does it look like? So, all my data is still in this lake. I got all that stuff in there. Now, mm -hmm. what you really want is to not say, "Oh, I I need to go uh, generate data to be able to go answer uh, these questions about uh, the the real active users or something." No. How about mm -hmm. let's think about what are the core concepts that are needed for that metric, which is, "Oh, mm -hmm. I need to know what a user is and what is an activity." So then we start thinking about, okay, the concept, of, the concept of a user, the concept of an activity. And then we like, so what does a user mean? Well, the user is going to be physically represented as a table and we need to have the user ID, the username, and some, I mean, some characteristics about the users, which those are going to be columns, right? Inside yep. of the table. And now yep. that's basically, I have a very clean, normalized table that that table represents a concept of a user. Now I need to take all that data that's in my lake and transform it to fit that particular very simple table of, of a user. And then yep. I would do that same thing for the activity, right? Whatever mm -hmm. activity is, do the exact same thing. And in this case, I need to know, well, activity is related to a user. So I also need to know what is the, the, the primary key or the foreign key or whatever to go point mm -hmm. to that user. And I do that. So at that stage, what I've really done is you take all, this, all the data that's in the, the raw source data. I've defined a target schema. Very and that the target schema rep, reflects the real world concepts, yep. and then this transform is this mapping, whatever could be 
one query could be multiple queries, whatever, but at the end of the day, it's going to be populating that target tables. In this case, in this example, it's a table called user and a table called uh, activity. Yep. All right. I said a lot. Let me pause. Yep. Yeah. I mean, basically what I'm hearing is like, you know, we talk about ELT, but it's the reality is, is we're kind of doing like ELTTT. Like there are kind of three different T's. There's like the normalization T. There's this like denormalization that's happening in the warehouse. And then there's this further denormalization that's happening in downstream applications, right? Like, okay, now that I have this nice data mart, let me go to my BI tool and, you know, run a query against that data mart and do further aggregation, further filtering, further, you know, et cetera, in order to get myself down to that actual unit that is consumable, which is oftentimes just a metric. But now I'm managing logic that I have, you know, scheduled in my DAG and logic that is in the BI tool in two different places. And I'm trying to maintain consistency. And I have, you know, a huge number of tables, different data marts that I've built for different applications, because I need to, to kind of boil the data down into small consumable things. And now I've just got like logic spread everywhere. I'm trying to figure out, you know, how aggregated is this data? How filtered is it? Like, am I answering the right question? Um, and I think that that is the problem that, you know, a lot of people experience. Um, so I really like what you just said. The, we, the problem is we're doing E-L-T-T-T-T-T-T and managing all these T-T-Cs is the problem. Yep, exactly. That is need very insightful how, we, how, how you just described that. I think that's a very clear way of defining what's going on. And I think we, if, I, I think <clears throat> if we say having so many of these T's, that's hard to manage. And, and that's it's just the debt. debt. It's a debt. That's really, very intense. Like but then, so yeah. going back to the process I was telling you, I mean, is this yeah, how yeah. you would see the process of, of creating that semantic layer to be? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the purpose of the semantic layer is, well, first, there's a bunch of things that enables and, you know, we can, we can dive deeper on that. Like, frankly, I don't think that self-serve is possible without a semantic layer, right? Like you need to map concepts that are technical to concepts that are like human understandable in order to create a tool that humans can interact with without having technical context of the data, right? That's just like, there is, you know, there is like truth there. There's, there's no way around that. Um, and so there are a bunch of reasons why semantic layers are really powerful and why we should be talking more about them. Um, but I think that, you know, um, Sorry, what going? What was the? Where were we going with that? <laughs> no, well, I, I just, I mean, I, I described this process at the end of the day. Yeah. I just, I mean, I, I just want to understand that this. I want to make sure that we're on the same page, or yeah. I want to know on the process to the, to create the semantic layer because at the Got end it. of the day, okay. it doesn't seem that complicated. I mean, if we actually do things very, very nicely, yep. If we have everything in, if we have everything in one snowflake instance, for example. Yep. Keep it simple. Well, I could all, all my my semantic layer is a bunch of views that I'm defining, and then I just generate that the, every table that represents a concept. That's the semantic layer, and and that's it. And then I have a bunch of views which generate yeah. all my transforms, my my mappings. Right. And so, okay. So if you think about like what information your business has, right? If you have a bunch of different data sources, like what is the definition of normalization? It's not duplicating data, and it's consistency of like different objects, right? So if you have a country attribute, 
then it's defined the same way across a bunch of different tables. Like if you have a user country and a store country and a bunch of other stuff, like you don't have US and United States and like USA and a bunch of different places. You just have US and every column is the same everywhere. So that's what normalization is, right? Once you have that, if you have all of your data in that format, then you define semantics on top of it. Everything else downstream of that is boilerplate code. Like it is a ton of boilerplate code that is basically getting expressed repeatedly around an organization. That's the value of a semantic layer. I think I think we agree on that. Yes, that we agree. So let me go. Let me go quickly. One of the next thing is yeah, I'm already. We're, I'm back chatting with Timmy. He has a bunch of questions. I know, but at the end of the day, and this actually was a conversation we had with Chad Sanderson. The, the, I think our one or two episodes ago is if you have a successful semantic layer when you define your metrics it should be very simple to go define that metric. And I'm literally saying it's a couple lines of SQL. I would love that to be true, <laughs> but I don't quite believe it. And here's my thought about that. Um, that I think is, that is the dream. Like that is the vision. That would be wonderful if we could get there, right? Um, if I could basically understand the relationships between different data sets, the intentions of people when they're data, when they're actually building their models, right? Um, and maybe we can, you know, work up to this, but I don't know, like if, you know, somebody has like an SCD table and they've got this column, you know, defined in this other table, like if the data is truly perfectly clean, maybe you could do that. Um, but the reality is, it's like, if I have a metric, if I have revenue, and I have, you know, product category, and that is in a product table, right? I need to know the the join relationship between the transactions table where I'm generating the revenue metric and the product table that has that product category. And I could try and guess, I could do my best, but there's a ton of logic in there. And like the person who's actually modeling the data knows that. And so they need to give that logic to the semantic layer in some structured way. And maybe they could express this in SQL, like maybe they could write out that SQL for that thing. But ultimately what that semantic layer would do is it would take that SQL, it would decompose it into the various transformations and then try it, try and turn it into a structured format where it could then go and generate the end SQL that would be needed to kind of ask for that same metric by a bunch of different dimensions, right? And so you'd be expressing this logic in a very unstructured way and then expecting it to be compiled down into a very structured format for you to then go and ask different questions. Hmm, interesting. Okay. <clears throat> you know, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna come back to the technology, I think, some more and dive into and dissect this even a little bit more about how this is put together and also a little bit like yeah. what's the what's the metrics flow approach to this. But before we do that, I wanna kind of zoom out again and look a little bit yeah, at yeah. like the sort of the uh, the, the, the who, what, why, when, how, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and specifically, I want to talk, I want to talk about like, like why now, like, like, so, you know, you had mentioned, right. That, uh, this isn't the first time that sort of semantic layer or semantic concepts has come up. 
and and Juan has a lot of experience with um, you know starting companies and seeing the previous waves of this and being a part of some of the new technology uh, efforts, yeah, yeah. This, particularly in the semantic web. Um, but it seems like very recently now the modern data stack community is very sort of excited and interested in this topic. So mm -hmm. wh why do you think this is happening now? Yeah. So the the what first like you know kind of made me interested in this whole world was I joined Airbnb in 2014 and my job was uh, experimentation, right? So basically what I did was I took assignment data sets, right? Like I saw button color A and, you know, this person saw button color B and I need to then go and track a bunch of metrics against those two things and run stats tests to figure out if button color B is better than, you know, button color A. Um, and the way that we did that was we basically defined a bunch of metrics and then we joined them to the assignment data sets and then, you know, produced the, the analysis kind of automatically. And what we found was that the more different types of questions that we wanted to answer around those metrics. So if I wanted to know, you know, is Airbnb. So if I want to know how many nights booked um, happened in like, you know, version uh, in the, the treatment and in the control, um, then, you know, I could go and calculate that. But then I would see that thing moving and I would want to know, hey, is this happening on Safari or Chrome or is this happening in this country or this country? Is it happening on this product, you know, um, like version or this product version? There were all of these different dimensions that I wanted to go and ask questions by. And ultimately what that meant was I now needed to join another data set. And in order to kind of traverse this like graph of different data sets, we had to go from SQL queries to basically defining the join relationships, defining these various dimensions in these underlying data sets so that we could programmatically build all of those joins in order to automate that experimentation analysis. Um, and so I think that kind of goes back to the, the last question, but the reason why uh, we got to do this was basically two reasons. We had um, you know, we had basically hired a bunch of people from Facebook who could manage a Hadoop cluster and keep it up and running to a point where a bunch of data analysts didn't have to think about it. Like, I just had a bunch of compute in the internet and I didn't have to think about it, right? Like, it was, it was just there. And I think that what we have today is that. Like, people just use Snowflake and they don't think about it. And it's a bunch of computers in the internet that does, you know, all of the heavy lifting for them. The other reason was um, we had Airflow. And what Airflow did for us was it took us from writing a bunch of cron jobs, making it so that only data engineers could contribute to data pipelines, to, hey, it's actually pretty easy for data analysts to contribute to data pipelines uh, if we build some kind of you know boilerplate templates around Airflow. And so Airbnb had these really easy uh, ways for basically analysts to contribute. Uh, we used a bunch of Jinja. In some ways, it kind of looks like what DBT is today, where you know you'd kind of have this like mapping of dependencies, and you just write SQL, and then it would you know form a DAG, and you would be able to kind of run that, and it would be green every day, and it would just run. And so what that meant was we had a bunch of compute, we had the ability to go and schedule jobs, which meant that data analysts could go and take a bunch of you know core data sets that were being produced, a bunch of raw event logs you know, all of this kind of stuff and 
basically build a bunch of tables and then figure out what to do with them. And I think that the world that we're in today is that we've got great schedulers, you've got DBT, we've got Snowflake, BigQuery, you know, Redshift, bunch of new data warehouses. We basically have all of these tools that we were playing around with, you know, and kind of interacting at that level at roughly like 2014, 2015 at Airbnb. And so we just got to do a bunch of this stuff ahead of time. And now that's kind of the world that we're in today. So so to kind of state this back to you, yeah. so like, so compute is super easy and democratized. Now spin up Snowflake, you're good to go. Whereas a lot more energy had to go into infrastructure management in yep. the past, right? <clears throat> easy ability to schedule jobs uh, and not just easy, but sort of democratized. Like analysts yep. can write DBT code and schedule it with a CICD scheduler or, you know, DBT cloud or whatever they want to use, right? Yep. And now they're building a bunch of tables. So basically now Tons you've of made this easier. People are able to sprawl out. You, you know, there was the self-service analytics movement. There's like this self-service data pipeline movement going on. Maybe if to, we're to, all to a part of it. Yep. That I think we're not using. Right. Um, and so now does that mean, I, I guess maybe it's both of these things, what it's easier for people to start thinking about how I should work with the semantic layer. And maybe also because it's so easy, there's yeah, such yeah. an incredible amount of sprawl and duplicate work that's happening right now. That's exactly it. Basically it got so easy that everyone, you know, is, is kind of a part of this process. And what we need is we need basically a, a way for a bunch of people to collaborate, right? Like we need a way for people to centralize a lot of this logic and not just individually define a bunch of pieces of overlapping logic in non-reproducible ways. And at the core, that's kind of what the semantic layer does, right? It's like, it's an abstraction that allows you to go and contain a set of logic and then reuse it across a bunch of different applications, a bunch of different, you know, kind of uh, questions that data analysts would want to ask. So an example is, um, I ran a ton of experiments on like user growth, right? And Every time you add new users, they have, you know, more kind of customer service questions than users who have already been on the platform. And so by adding new users, we generated more customer service tickets. I, to this day, do not know the definition of Airbnb's customer service contact rate, but I know for a fact that a bunch of the experiments I ran lifted that metric and a lot of people really cared about it. And I was in a lot of meetings about like, hey, why is our customer service contact rate going up? And I could go and I could do analysis but I didn't know the like, you know, various steps to get to that metric. All I knew is that I had a programmatic way to generate that metric at the granularities that I wanted. So you just said something that I very much agree with, that the semantic layer is an abstraction of the logic, so it can be reused by a lot of users. And this is something that I've been talking, I had a full session with, uh, at our summit uh, with Mohammed Osser on on knowledge, we call it knowledge layers. Uh, and, and his point is that you need a semantic layer, a knowledge layer in order to scale exactly for this reason, right? You said it before, it's like, so you need, we really won't have a, a, a won't yeah. have service without a semantic layer. So we need a semantic layer to help go scale. Mm -hmm. So now I, who's responsible for it? If we're going to get more people, yeah. Who is, who is responsible? Who is the owner? Who is accountable? Who fixes it when it breaks? Who's getting the requirements? Yeah. And how, how yeah, how do you manage this um, centrally, decentralized? Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, as with all people and like organizational related problems, it's like, it depends. depends. You know, it's kind of the <laughs> right? Um, but 
I think that probably a better answer here is, you know, what I would kind of describe as like what I've seen and what I've seen as, you know, something that works. Um, and that is basically that, you know, you have data engineers and, um, or, you know, I think at this point, like analytics engineers can do a lot of this work with stuff like five train and DBT, but I need to move data from wherever it is to my centralized data warehouse. Right. And I think that that is probably something that, you know, somebody who has a good understanding of how that data is produced and like what formats it needs to be in should be doing, right? They should be able to move it to the data warehouse. They should be able to, you know, do some kind of data transformation on it to make it nice and clean and normalized. Those people are, you know, I think at much smaller companies, it's kind of, you know, end to end, it's the same person who's expected to integrate with like, how do I pull data out of Salesforce all the way through to how do I, um, you know, talk to a business user about like how the metrics are moving. Um, but I think it, you know, really it kind of like medium sized companies and up, there are some kind of, um, you know, barriers that are drawn and people have more specialization. And so I would say typically data engineers are doing that kind of work, uh, maybe analytics engineers in, in kind of the modern paradigm. And then from there, like the person who is responsible for preparing and like surfacing the data to the end user is the one who should ultimately be responsible for kind of defining the metrics on top of those normalized tables, right? And so typically that would be a data analyst, maybe an analytics engineer, um, but it's somebody who ultimately has a connection to the end business user and can have a conversation with them about like, how should this metric be defined? What are the different caveats, et cetera? Aren't we just now starting to throw the word analytics engineer everywhere? And, and like, that's the new yeah. thing. And everybody is that I'm like, I'm calling BS on this thing, truly. I mean, they're, 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 we just put this big label on it. And now we're like, well, you, you, you said the, uh, you said you described yeah, these yeah. Three things and you put analytics engineer in all three of them. And like companies are just, this, this word existed, didn't exist a year ago. So yeah, let's let's take let's take these labels out for now because I want to really dig into I really want to dig into like yeah who is who is doing this work, who is driving the business decisions, who is driving the technical decisions yep. to decide implementing this. All right, and and yeah, and, and I always say I need a, where's my t-shirt Tim that says don't boil the ocean right because how do how are we going to avoid boiling the ocean? How are, how are we going to make sure that? <laughs> that this doesn't fail because I think we all yeah, agree yeah. that this is a good idea because we've been saying argue, that yeah. how do we make I would sure that argue, we, yeah. Sorry. yeah how do we make sure that we don't fail <laughs> yeah so okay so if you just remove the analytics engineer I mean I think that there are basically two personas that are involved in taking data from like where it is to the end business user and that's the data engineer should prepare all of the data sets into its nice clean normalized formats Ideally, you don't have data engineers just building data marts. Like there is that in my mind is boiling the ocean. Like if you're going to try and combine all of your data into nice, clean data marts for every single one of your end business consumers, like good luck. You know, this is so, I like mean, this these is, are the marketing tables. These are the customer success tables. They're like, yeah, that, that's a bad approach. Here's like, you know, here's 180 different marketing tables, you know, and then the marketing team is like, hey, where do I find this data? And you're like, oh, well, it's in one of the 180. How come you didn't find it? Or like, oh, we don't have that metric in dimension everywhere. Let me build 181, you know, 
<laughs> tables for you and like good luck finding it. Um, that is in my mind, very problematic. Um, and so, you know, what I would basically suggest is like, you need, you need to basically decentralize this, this kind of has to do with this, like centralized versus decentralized. You need to build a system that many different stakeholders can contribute to, right? Because like you've got business stakeholders, you've got technical stakeholders around a company and they all have different understandings of like different domains of data. And those people should be the ones for who are responsible for defining the metrics in their domains. And then they should be able to contribute it back to a system that relies on the same underlying core set of normalized tables that you know are canonical and true in your organization. And it doesn't matter if many different data analysts around an organization are using the same underlying tables, because that is a you know, set of data that your data engineering team is preparing for the rest of your organization for consumption. But then the data analyst is basically responsible for taking that normalized data and turning it into something that the business user actually cares about. How, in, in, in this world, how, how, every time we talk about uh, the semantics, it's like, well, you're not going to get one definition of a customer, right? You're going to get so many different definitions of a customer. How, what's your answer to this? Like, how do we address this with the, so many different definitions of a customer? Yeah. So, I mean, this is like really an organizational problem, right? Um, I think that the core of this is like, does your technology enable it, right? And in my mind, the technology that we have right now kind of enables it because you can just call, you can just build a bunch of data marts and, you know, call a bunch of rows and it like customer, right? And then everyone just consumes it and they're like, I'm consuming, you know, the customer data, but they're all different customers. And so in my mind, like one of the values of having structure in this layer is that you can actually define an entity that is a customer and you can't have two of those. And if you want to be able to like join different data sets together, it has to be the same entity. But then you're assuming Kinda, that, we, yeah, that we will actually agree on what the data for the customer, agreeing what a customer is. And that's, I mean, yeah, I agree it's an organizational problem. Human but problem. It's but, so, but, yeah. But, yeah, but it's, but we're not, I mean, then how, I mean. No, I know, I know what you mean. It's, I mean. Gosh, if you could solve that problem. <laughs> well, listen, like I, mean, you... <laughs> I, well, I mean, my my position about this is that if it's a social problem, yeah. I mean, there, there's this great book by Gerald Kane as a professor in Boston yeah. College called The Technology Fallacy, which is the, the technology fallacy is because a problem was a problem came out of technology and the solution should also be technology. Exactly. Yes. But you just but but but. I mean, th this is something that we need to agree that I think there yeah. is not that one single semantic. We have to agree there's the world has chaos and we, we have to embrace that complexity. And if there happens to be a different definitions of a customer that we don't agree, then, OK, let's just define that. We have different versions of call it customer marketing, call it customer sales. Exactly. Right? And we know where that comes from. And then you're like, well, in that query that you, you define your metric, you decide to use the customer marketing table, which may have different rows, but obviously they'll overlap on a lot, but they have different. Yep. And I know exactly where that metric came from. And then you can explain that. Exactly. So I think that, like, I totally agree with your point. Like, you know, 
technology is partially responsible for this problem and it's probably going to be partially responsible for the solution. But ultimately the biggest problem is that you need to get a bunch of people in the room and to get them all to agree that like, Hey, I'm going to start calling it like a marketing customer or, you know, a, like, I'm going to call it a qualified lead. You're going to call it a, you know, like something else. Right. Um, ultimately there is this people component, but what I'm saying is that technology is still a part of that solution. And I think that technology can build user experiences that basically require people to have those conversations. And so what we do is we basically say, you can't have two def like you can't have two things that are customer that like don't relate to each other in your in your semantic model. And that's very simple, but it basically means that when you get a marketing person who's entering customer and when you get a product person who's entering a customer, like those two things will not join to each other and it will basically spit out like a, hey, this relationship is not working. So like y'all need to talk about this. It's a start. It's not a it, like this is not an entire solution to like, you know, organizational problems around data. I wish I had that. This this is a very interesting conversation and, and debate here to think about sort of what's the right approach to this? How much of it is a technology solve versus a people solve? I definitely like the the phrase that you said, Juan, about sort of like the multiple versions of the truth. And I, I feel like the metrics layer and the semantics layer actually can embrace that pretty well. Um, I guess, how, how do you think, Nick, about, you know, reflecting multiple versions of the truth in the semantic and the, and the, and the metrics layer? And, and in general, how do you approach this iteratively, right? Is there, you know, is there an approach to this where like you pick one entity and it starts off in there and then you add another and you, you know, you pick five metrics and then you add a few more. Like, is that the same kind of approach that you would take here as you did take, you know, you take with other sort of code projects? Yeah, I think that's basically right. I think that you want to start with, um, you want to start with a set of data that like resolves a certain application, right? You know, you want to basically say, hey, the marketing team cares about, you know, these 10 metrics. These are like their 10 primary metrics. These are a bunch more that they care about. And so what might end up happening is that, you know, they define customer in the system. And then when you go and you invite another team to come and collaborate, like there needs to be some resolution there, right? Um, and so I, I do think that it probably is an iterative process. Like I, you know, the, the experience that I had at Airbnb, like, you know, it was product teams who adopted this first. Eventually it was finance and marketing and all of these other organizations. And so, you know, I would say that mostly we did not have problems when the other organizations joined, but we did have problems when, um, we did actually have problems when different product teams joined because mm. actually when I first joined, Airbnb had uh, three definitions of what a booking is, which is, so problematic for a company that has that as their North Star metric. <laughs> um, like usually, you know, it's like the fifth most important metric that nobody agrees on, not the like North Star one. Um, but I think that, you know, in some ways what this did was it forced a conversation and it made us realize that like, you know, we need to have different words of like net bookings and, you know, bookings after cancellations, like these kinds of things, right? right. Um, but at and, the very least, it yeah. forces those conversations. And, and in some cases, those things are 
are layered, right? And it, it seems like, yeah, you know, the the metrics layer can support this idea that there's like a booking. Maybe you define a booking, but then you and then you define net booking on top of that, which might be bookings minus uh, canceled bookings minus churn bookings or something like that. And okay, so now yeah. that's net bookings, and these things can actually be built upon each other, right? Yeah, and like the nice thing about doing this all at the kind of level of normalization, like building this on top of normalized and, you know, these kinds of core data models is that at the very least, you know that the underlying data is not duplicative, right? And so if you're going to go and define revenue and you have two different tables that are like different variants of aggregating transactions, and then you're going to go and try and define revenue on top of those, like, you might end up with different results just by summing like the you know price column in each of those two tables. But the problem there is just that you've already done some of the process of defining the denormalization, like defining the aggregation. And so it's kind of, you know, it's not that surprising that you would expect uh, different results. And I think that that's a huge cause of multiple definitions for the same metrics in most organizations. And a lot of semantic layers just are not flexible enough to be able to define metrics on normalized tables. Yeah. And I think that that is really problematic. Now, that, that, it, it goes back to what we we're saying. I think the dream, which I do think is a measure of success, is that your metrics definition implementation should be literally very, very small. And if you're not accomplishing that, then you're not being successful yet. So I, I, I mean, think I, we just we can't see it just as a dream, like that needs to, that needs to be a reality, and that needs to be our north star when we we're thinking about what success looks like when you have a semantic semantics and metrics layer on this. Um, man, I totally agree with that. Time flies, and I want to. There's so much stuff. Yeah. I do want you to talk. Tell us a little bit about the open source, the the metrics flow. Yeah. So, um, look, this is the sixth version of like a semantic framework that I've worked on over the last <laughs> eight years. And they've all been proprietary and, you know, each one has been, uh, each of the first five at least, has been flawed in some kind of serious way. And I've had all of these, you know, learnings and uh, painful experiences trying to kind of expand them and use them in different ways. Some of them, you know, I was an end consumer of, the, of and more recently, you know, um, I've been working more directly on them um, as like a, you know, kind of from a product perspective. And I think that what metric flow is, is it's basically an attempt to solve denormalization. And that sounds like so ambitious and, you know, so significant and like, what does it even mean? Um, but the core of it is that we're trying to build a, you know, metrics layer, a semantic layer with a core metrics abstraction on top of the semantic layer that can be defined purely on top of normalized tables. And, you know, that being said, we've also built it as like a very flexible framework. Um, so it can be defined on top of raw data sets or denormalized uh, tables, but you basically get more out of it if you have nice clean data and it's not uh, you know, partially aggregated already. But what metric flow is, um, is that it is, a, it is basically um, you know, a spec for defining uh, the kind of semantic components, right? So the measures, dimensions, uh, we don't actually directly define uh, the kind of, if you think about like a, you know, a graph, 
um, most semantic layers define the edges of that graph as relationships, right? So like here is the left side of this join and the right side, and let me draw a line between these two tables. We actually define the structures of the tables and the entities that exist within those tables and whether they're kind of primary or foreign keys. And that allows us to um, basically have far fewer, um, far fewer kind of like points of logic that need to be defined um, because we can basically infer all of the potential edges off of each of these data sources. And so there's this spec, you define your data sources, um, your measures, dimensions, identifiers in those data sources. And then from that, you can basically ask for metrics. And what metric flow does is it takes the semantic you know, information, it takes the request for metrics, and then it compiles that into a SQL query. And what it ends up returning to you is you know, either a SQL query or the result of that SQL query. And so the types of requests that you can make is, I can go and I can define a data source for products. I can go and define a data source for transactions. Um, and then I can go and say, I would like to see you know, revenue by product type. And under the hood, it says, OK, I have this data source. I have this data source. The revenue metric is defined on top of the transactions table. I know the join relationship. So I can go and basically construct that SQL query. Um, it creates a query plan. And then it optimizes that down into performant and legible SQL. Both of those are super, super important. Um, and then it runs that SQL against the warehouse and returns the result. And you get back, you know, two columns, revenue, and product category. All right. So I'm going to summarize this very quickly. As, take, as inputs, you take the semantic layer plus the metrics that you want. And then yep. you compi and it compiles and it generates an, an optimized and, and, and readable SQL query. Exactly. And you can do all kinds of stuff on top of that, like ask for, you know, once you really kind of have this data model defined, there are probably, you know, hundreds of dimensions you can ask for for each metric. You can ask for any time granularity, et cetera. Like, you know, theoretically, the framework can generate hundreds of lines of SQL for you. And all you have to do is give me revenue by product type, by, you know, store, like square footage, by whatever. So, so if people want to try this out and get started, what's the what's the best way for them to to get their hands dirty? Yeah, so Metricflow is a GitHub uh, is on GitHub, um, so you can go there, um, and that's actually you can go to our website um, metricflow.com, and then you'll you'll see it. Okay. Um, awesome. You can also just pip install Metricflow, and then uh, it comes with a tutorial with like a fake set of data, so you can just connect it to a data warehouse, and it'll have a data model have a fake set of data that it'll write. It's like very small data set, um, but it at least kind of lets you get the, your hands on it and run it against your own data warehouse. Oh, that's cool. All right. Yeah. I'll try it out. All right, Please Nick, do. this was, uh, we can keep, I got so much stuff I want to go talk about, but we got to go to our, our lightning round, uh, which is uh, sponsored and presented by Data Art World. Let's just do this fun stuff every Wednesday. So thank you. All right. <laughs> I'm going to kick it off. Number one. Okay. Will the new wave of analytics engineers be the ones primarily bringing the metrics layer into the organization and the stack? Or is it another persona? I think that the answer is yes, which is a controversial answer based off of this conversation. <laughs> All right. Yes. You go next, Tim. All right. Uh, Nick, will, will the modern data stack be a requirement to take advantage of the latest wave of metrics semantic layer or, you know, or, for example, can you know the legacy stack take advantage of this, and you know, in the near future? 
Yeah. So I think this is like, the answer is, is ideally both. And the reason why we open source metric flow is because we want it to be able to support a wider, you know, set of applications. Um, I think that the core, the like, all of the APIs are very generic, right? It's like Python, you know, uh, command line interface. You can write whatever you integrations, you can use it in whatever way you want. But the core there is probably database connectors, right? If you have a variety of different databases that are not, you know, your kind of Snowflake, Redshift, BigQuery, um, Databricks kind of databases. Um, and those can all be added to the open source project. So please make contributions. All right, third, uh, will metrics layer ever become the de facto approach to building your data platform? Or is this more like a expert mode or like a cool kids thing? I think that companies will realize that it's kind of this like, there's this paradox of in the early days, you don't see it. And then everyone who gets to a certain stage sees it. And so I think that more and more, you know, uh, the people who are later on will see it and and then kind of show, uh, you know, people who are earlier on that like, hey, you're building, you know, a bit of a rat's nest right now and you might want to watch out. Um, yeah. And so my take is that like, I I personally think that it should be like one of the first tools that companies buy. Um, and I actually think that it makes more sense at the startup. Like I started working on this after leaving Airbnb and working at a startup and being like, oh my gosh, I need this. My business you know, partners are asking for so many different cuts of the data and I don't have time to write every single query for them. So, so the modern data stack veterans uh, are going to, they're going to speak to the younger folks and, and, you know, younger experience wise and say like, yeah, don't do what we did. Yeah. There's a better basically, way. <laughs> basically. I mean, and like, and if we can get know, that I, information out there, then they'll they'll realize it and adopt it earlier. Yeah, and like I think that's how a lot of technology, you know, ends up ends up evolving. Uh, technology that like impacts larger companies more significantly. The, yeah. This is like a trust and productivity problem, and the larger companies experience the trust problem, and the smaller companies are experiencing the productivity problem, and it just gets like more and more profound as you get larger, right? And so yeah. people don't plan for it because they can't foresee it. Um, this is what I call the balance between efficiency and resilience. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I hope you're right on that, uh, Nick. And I'm hoping also like some of the lighter weight BI tools push us in this direction too, because then people will be like, oh, of course I want to do more in my data warehouse. Um, yeah. Uh, last lightning round question for you. Um, should data catalogs support the metrics layer as a first class citizen? Oh, for sure. Okay. So, I mean, this, I feel like we kind of skipped over the relationship to metadata um, we got so into like some of the other conversations, but <laughs> um, like so much of, of the back end of what this is, like metrics are a profoundly important concept within a business. Like it is one of the most stable objects in an organization over time. Like Airbnb was tracking bookings, you know, multiple definitions before I joined and then still to this day tracks it. And if we had been building up metadata and context annotations of what happened at different moments, like, you know, who the owner is, who the, what the tier is, like whether it's good if it goes up or down, like these are all incredibly important pieces of metadata that we're now tracking on our backend. And we actually expose a GraphQL API for other applications to basically pull that metadata out and surface it. 
And I mean, I think one of the main differences between, you know, older versions of semantic layers and newer versions is just broad access. And so that's why we expose all of this stuff. Um, our entire yeah. UI can be accessed elsewhere. So I, I love your comment that this is such a foundational concept um, and actually one of the more stable elements. And I think, I think that's an important takeaway. Like people like, there's a purchase, right? And it's like, oh, well, the data to make a purchase was this way at first, but then but then we had to change it because we're collecting the data different or something like that, or we changed our systems, and now it's like this. But the concept of purchase stayed the same, right? So I think that's a really important thing for, th for folks to think about. That was a very, very important takeaway there. Which, all right, the mesh minute. One minute. Uh, rant, pontificate, whatever you want about data mesh, go. Okay. So I told, I told Juan, I'm like a little anxious about this because I feel like the hardest thing about the data mesh for me is just like really getting my mind around it. Um, and I certainly have opinions and like things that I think are relevant here. Um, but I think that the core of this is that what we're talking about here is trying to define a centralized place that we can manage in a decentralized way, right? A centralized place to define your metrics and expose them as like a clean interface to the rest of the organization. And in my mind, like when I read the data mesh stuff, I think that we're that's basically a data plane, but I'm not really sure. And I think part of the like hard part about understanding the data mesh is just like real applications, like real examples of how this works. Um, it feels a little philosophical to me still at this point. And that doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that like, I need more time to understand it. I need somebody to like explain it to me. <laughs> yeah. Valid, valid, valid. It is something, there's yeah. a whole book on it now you can go get, so. <laughs> All right. Yeah, perfect. But Tim. I agree. More case studies would be good. I think hopefully people are trying data mesh and, and they're going to share their their war stories, either successes or failures. Well, actually, in a couple yeah, of weeks, totally. we're going to have uh, Omar uh, from Roche, who's been talking a lot about it. And, and so eager to, to learn more about the details on everything. Yeah, so, I'll have right, some good stories nice. there. All right. Uh, T Tim, take us away with your takeaways. All right. So, Nick, you've done such an awesome job helping us to learn about the semantic layer, the metrics layer, and why this is valuable, why this is happening right now. Um, you really referred to and talked about the semantic layer as being sort of this mapping between sort of the data as it exists today, the sort of this, these tables, um, to these classes, um, you know, whether they're orders or products or customers. Um, and the rows are really the individual instances of that class, such as, um, you know, one of those orders, one of those products. And the idea is to try to create an abstraction so that the logic can be a lot more reusable. And so that way it's a lot more understandable to uh, whether it's the BI tool or the people or whatever needs to ultimately consume that information. Um, and you mentioned about the metrics or, or the metrics layer being something that kind of is, is, is part of that or kind of sits on top of that, which uh, allows you to, you know, um, to really define your metric in a repeatable way um, uh, over those different classes or over those different attributes. Um, and to do that in a way that's 
sort of, I'll just call it smart, right? Whether it's like, if, if you care about time, then you want to be able to do the kinds of things you should do with time. Like, you know, look at it weekly or monthly or, you know, those types of things. So it should be done in, a, in kind of a smart way. Um, and this makes a lot of sense. It seems like it's going to really have a profound impact on companies that struggle with, you know, sort of spaghetti code or spaghetti data pipelines or, you know, uh, you know, uh, hey, we implemented Snowflake uh, four years ago to replace our, our crazy monolith and we just built a new one that's maybe even more expensive in the cloud. Right. How do we how do we fix that? Right. It seems like the semantic layer metrics layer can help a lot with that. And 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 why now? Right. Well, um, you mentioned that infrastructure is not as big of an issue anymore. Um, scheduling and creating these, you know, scheduling jobs and creating data pipelines isn't as big of an issue anymore. Um, so now it's it's much more democratized to to build all this stuff out, and and so it's becoming faster to create these problems, to create this sprawl. Um, we need to be smarter about how we manage our data pipelines, about how reusable our logic is, uh, and ultimately, I wrote down we need to lower the bar to be savvy about your data. And I think previously we were thinking more about like lowering the bar to build a dashboard. And I think we all kind of now realize in hindsight, that was dumb. Like it's like, oh, well, just giving people to build a dashboard. Obviously that wasn't going to solve becoming data driven, right? You actually need to understand the data. It needs to be semantically meaningful. And I think we're finally having the right conversation about that. So that's, that's my spiel on it. Juan, what's, what are your takeaways? I, I got, I got several here. One, I think remind ourselves the world that we live in today, if you don't have a semantic layer, you have, you're dealing with a bunch of SQL, large SQL queries and on top of all these raw tables, there's too many transformations. You're doing E-L-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T and managing that is a pain. I think we all agree with that. Uh, and, and truly self-service without a semantic layer is impossible because otherwise the users will, who, need, who want to go query that need to have so much technical context and that's not going to be self-service right there. I like we, we kind of we have a little bit of a disagreement here, but 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 I think we at least came to the same. I ended up agreeing is, I think the dream is to really have the metrics query to be very crisp and concise. And you saying it's a dream, but I'm like it's a dream that we make it a reality. And if you're not making that real, you're not being successful. I think that we that that should be the north star right there. I think it's still open the, the question we need to help define the ownership responsibility right it depends I and mean, that's something that depends on your organization and that's a lot of the human work right if you're you you, you need to understand who's the who are the people who really understand that data right in a smaller company maybe the same person who does end to end but this is going to go change a larger company um you do want to have a system where anyone can contribute to metrics but it's all coming in from that same semantic layer um and, and you really need to get agreements, uh, get people in the room and have agreements. And, and, and I think it, the from a technology perspective, it is interesting to make sure that the technology knows that these two things should not be joined because that does not make sense to go do that. Um, start with, uh, this is a very important one, start with data from a certain application. So you talk to the domain of the marketing team. Well, let's talk about what are their metrics and where is their data coming from and let them define customer first. And then people get more involved. They're like, well, okay, now we have to go address these issues. Then we can go resolve that. That's a way not to boil the ocean. You have your the metrics flow open source. The short answer is you take the semantic layer you built, the metrics, and it will compile it into optimized and, and readable SQL queries. And finally, should data catalog support the metrics layer as a first class citizen? First class citizen? Absolutely, yes. Metrics are fundamental, are foundational concept, and I really love this. They're actually the things that are most stable within an organization. And that's a very key takeaway right there metrics are yep. going to be there all the time 
let's go treat it with the respect it deserves. That's right. Nick, how did we I do? I like that takeaway. How did we that's do? A, I, I think we have that's a t-shirt great. that we're going to have there, like metrics, yeah. respect them or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think that they deserve a lot more respect. All right. Well, back to you, Nick. Two questions. What's your advice about data, about life, whatever, and who should we invite next? I'm going to make mine about life. Um, do I uh, both or just one? No, both. Both questions. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I see. I see. Um, or, or, or and about data and life or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Be nice to people. Just like you know, help people out. Have empathy. Like try to try to be like open and collaborative in these kinds of conversations. Like I love that. Um, I love just having these kinds of fun, open conversations. Um, and I think that life is just like a lot more fun when you're like nice to people, and you like, you know try to relate to people so i appreciate Amen. yeah Word. um and let's see next i don't know like i think if you want to i think that there are some people who have really thought a lot about this this metric stuff um you know there's um uh aaron keys was somebody who was at airbnb and spent a lot of time thinking about this um and he's now at slack um uh, johan reidberg is at spotify and has been thinking a lot about this space. Um, these are people who like, in my mind, um, you know, have been thinking about this for a long, long time and have formed, you know, quite polished and, and you know, tested opinions in like large organizations. Um, so I would say if you want to learn more about this space and really talk to practitioners who are like building this stuff right now. Uh, those are great examples. All right. That's, Love a, that's it. a great we'll be, idea. We'll be reaching out. Well, all right. Next week, we're talking about Knowledge Graphs at the Knowledge Graph Conference. I will be there, and we're going to have another. So I'll be in New York next week uh, with Francois Scharf, who is the general chair of the Knowledge Graph Conference, talking about all the stuff that's going over at that conference. And with that, Nick, thank you so much. And as always, thanks, Data World, who lets us uh, do this. Fun. Cheers, Nick. Thank Cheers, you Nick. so much for this awesome. Cheers. This is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Cataloging Cocktails fan base.